Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. So uh, this morning we are beginning our, our, our series uh, for the next three weeks talking about anxiety and really the, the desires that God has for us. And it's interesting because uh, I, I have the ability to induce anxiety in Brett Richmond. I don't know if he's in this service or he's in the second service, but um, all I have to do, whether it's in a meeting or a group of people, all I have to do is say, I have a story, and Brett starts to panic. Because my stories can be really weird and somewhat uncomfortable at times, and he's experienced that. And so Brett has told me that anytime I begin, begin a moment saying, I have a story, he immediately begins to like put his walls up and brace for whatever is coming next. Uh, it's just so funny how, how we, we kind of have that tendency, and, and we all experience things like that. Um, in preparing for today... I was doing some research and I was looking around online and I came across this uh, fairly simple anxiety test. And so I took this anxiety test online and uh, my score was 27. No one's happy or sad for me. Okay, Um, I really don't know what that means either. Uh, 27 apparently was a pretty decent score. It said that it had these categories in general anxiety and so it's just generally anxious. It said that I was at a mild level. Um, OCD, um, it said I had none, which my wife will say that's probably not true. Um, in the area of panic, it said I had moderate anxiety, which totally made sense to me because I think I, have a, I can have a little bit of overreaction um, often. Um, and then it said in um, the uh, agoraphobia, um, I don't even know if I pronounced that right, but um, it said I had mild, so I think that has to do with being up front in, in something like that, so that's probably a good thing that I, that I don't have a lot there. Um, but here's the good news, the great news is that um, it said at the end of my results for my, my, my scores, it said that if I buy their book, I can reduce it from 27 to 14 in five to seven days. Like, it was fantastic. I didn't actually buy the book because I feel like I'm comfortable with 27. Um, <laughs> it's a good number. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, you know what's interesting? Um, anywhere you look, um, you, can, you can run into anxiety. You can run into people talking about it. It's, it's presented everywhere. And, and really, anxiety, I would say, um, from, from the very, very like basic level all the way to levels that are really unhealthy um, is, is everywhere in our culture. Um, mild, mild anxiety can be a good thing. Like, um, for example, if, if you are out camping and you hear things going on outside of your tent and you look out outside of your tent and you see a bear in your food, I would hope you have some anxiety. I mean, that's, that's a good thing in that moment. You shouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to go pet it. Like, that's, that's a mistake. 
You should have more anxiety in your life if that's your approach to the bear. But, but so there's that mild amount that is actually beneficial for us. But then there's, there's, there's all of these areas of anxiety that, that, that is not healthy or, or beneficial. Um, one, one, of the, one of the books that's been super helpful for me as I've been kind of studying this and I want to share with you guys um, is a book called Finding Quiet. It's by a guy who, uh, a guy named J.P. Moreland, um, who's a, a fantastic, he's a Christian um, professor in a, in a seminary. Uh, he's written numerous books. I know that I had a number of books uh, that he wrote assigned to me when I was in seminary and, and, and getting, a, getting my degree. And so um, he's been very helpful. He actually has struggled with a very intense anxiety disorder uh, throughout his life. And uh, he has an incredible biblical approach and a, a very holistic approach to how he has walked through anxiety in his life. Um, and so uh, if, if, you're, if you're interested in, in maybe doing, drilling a little bit deeper into all of this, I would highly recommend this book. Um, we have a few copies in our library um, that if you wanted to pick up, but um, it's also pretty easy to um, get either digitally or, or order online or anything like that. Um, anxiety is a feeling of uneasiness, apprehension, or nervousness, and it always has a trigger for us. Um, like I shared earlier, uh, one of Brett's triggers is me saying I have a story, um, and probably that's well-founded. Um, but it always has a trigger, but we often don't know what that trigger is or what we're anxious about. Um, again, there's, there's healthy anxiety. Um, when, when I'm, when, when if, if a person's going into a job interview, there's some, there's some anxiousness about that which helps us be better prepared, doesn't it? Um, it, it spurs us to a place uh, of wanting to be ready. Or, or, if, or if there's a test that's coming up, there's a degree of anxiety that's healthy because it keeps you studying and helps you recognize that, you know, I need, to be, I need to be ready for this because it's something that I may not be ready for. But then there's, there's, there's an unhealthy level of anxiety, which is typically a symptom of a deeper issue such as panic attacks or, or PTSD or, or phobias or OCD or all of these things which, which come out of really, it has to do with, with the predicament that we as human beings are in because of the fall and because of sin. And because of our sin nature, because of, of the fact that we are sinful beings, we, 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 we escalate to these unhealthy places of anxiety, and, it, and there's all kinds of reasons for that. Um, some of it is genetic. Some of it is experiential. Some of it is, is just feeling out of control. There's all of these things that happen. Um, there's, there's one particular disorder called general anxiety disorder, which here's how this is described, and it's something that, that part of our population suffers from. It's the feeling anxious most days, and we often struggle to remember the last time we felt relaxed. Imagine living in a state, and, and some of, some, I, would, I would assume that even some people in this room today suffer from, from general anxiety disorder, where you can't really remember the last time that you were relaxed. As soon as the anxious thoughts are resolved, another may appear about a whole other issue. And so that's just one example of, of part of this, this issue that, that we face today in, in, our, in our world and as human beings. Anxiety is really a surface feeling that masks the deeper feelings that are most likely the real issue you are dealing with 
such as embarrassment or fear or grief or helplessness or hurt or loneliness or sadness. There's core things that are going on that result in those mild anxieties or, or severe anxiety and disorders. And, it, and it's interesting because uh, as, as you look at some of the, the, the research and some of the statistics, uh, 30% of adults suffer from elevated anxiety. And so we're saying 30% of adults suffer from not just that, like, I feel nervous going into a test, or, or I'm in a new place and I'm not sure, and so I'm, I'm feeling some elevated levels of anxiety. That's normal. That's pretty normal as a human being, but, but we're talking elevated anxiety, which is excessive fear and anxiety, not just proportionate nervousness for what the situation is around us. That, that it produces physical and emotional symptoms, that there are actual physical things that happen because of it. Um, that, that general anxiety disorder, uh, it's interesting, there was this, uh, this huge global study on that, that particular thing. And it was done all, again, it was a global study and it was really interesting what they, what they came out, uh, their, their results. In low income economies, countries and, and, and communities, 1.6% of, of the population suffered from um, generalized anxiety disorder. But then they, they looked at their results in the middle-income environments, countries, and communities, and they found that 2.8% of that population suffered from generalized anxiety disorder. And then they looked at their data from the high-income environments, countries, and communities, and they found that 5% of those people suffered from generalized anxiety disorder, which is pretty interesting because, because they, they had said in going into their study that their assumption was that people who had less, who, who maybe weren't sure where their next meal was coming from, would have a much greater degree of extreme anxiety, but it was interesting that the more wealthy countries and communities had a greater degree of anxiety. Put a pin in that, because we'll come back around to that in a few minutes. Here's what I want to share with you this morning, and this is the most important thing, is this, that God's desire for your life is not to live in the bondage of anxiety, but to be transformed, reflecting the mind and heart of Jesus. And I want us all to, right now to be clear that the Bible's holistic, functional view of humanity implies that we should stand against anxiety using the tools that addresses all aspects of us as people. And what I mean by that is, is that God's approach to us, God's desire for us, is that we are not in bondage to anxiety and that he has given us all kinds of things to help us through that and, and, and that the biblical view of humanity, who we are, is body, mind, and spirit. And that ignoring any of those things we ignore how God created us. And so God has given us medicine to address the brain. He's given us psychology to address the mind and emotions. And he's given the, us the Bible to spiritually address the spirit. And, and to be a whole person that God has created, God calls us to recognize all three of those areas. 
You see, as followers of Jesus, we are responsible to cultivate a Christian approach to anxiety, and in that pursuit, we may also include the study of extra-biblical knowledge that supplements but does not contradict Scripture. You see, my grandparents' generation of believers, of Christians, um, anxiety and depression was something that was very real in, in, their, in their generation. But, but one of the problems with that generation's approach was that there was this mentality that if Scripture memorization isn't enough to fix how you feel, then you're obviously either disobeying God or you're not reading enough scripture. And so you need to just read your Bible more. And here's the thing. As God has created us as complex beings with, with, with body, mind, and spirit, that yes, scripture memorization feeds and strengthens our spirit. But there's a reality that, that in only approaching it from that direction, we are ignoring our body and minds. Paul says, renew your mind daily. And he's talking about, he's talking in that, he's talking about our emotions and our feelings. And, 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 and Paul also says, present your, the members of your body as living sacrifices to, to Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the chemistry that the bodies that we are, we are placed into and so there is a reality that, that we are called as believers to, to look at, at one another and ourselves as complex whole beings that God has created and God has given us the ability to, to, to reach one another and, and be reached through, through a number of different tools and resources. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Psalm 42, and that is the right passage. <laughs> Um, I don't have anxiety about that. Um, <laughs> Psalm 42. And as you're getting there, I want to give you a little background on this. This was written by David. David, who, if you're not familiar with David, he was a character in the Old Testament. He was a, a shepherd boy who defeated a giant along with other scary things. He was anointed as king of Israel by Samuel the prophet, took a while to actually experience being king, and in Acts, he's called a man after God's own heart. Um, I, I have a hard time thinking of, of, a, of a greater compliment that could be said about a person, a man or woman after God's own heart. That's pretty significant, and I would say scripture has a pretty high view of David. But David also had a number of issues in his life. In fact, David, in reading his writings, he wrote a lot, he wrote a, a lot of the Psalms. In fact, he wrote 73 to 75 of, of the Psalms, um, depending on who you ask. There's a couple of Psalms that are in question of whether him or, him or someone else wrote them, but 73 to 75 Psalms. David had a significant struggle with severe anxiety and depression, if you look at his writing. Um, there are 150 psalms in our, in our Old Testament. 
let me, let me give you the breakdown of them. 48 of those are individual laments. They are of an individual lamenting about the difficulties and the struggle and their hopelessness for tomorrow and those kinds of things. 16 are corporate laments of a group of people or community lamenting that same idea. Um, 15 psalms are psalms of purely of trust. 20 are psalms of praise. And 13 are psalms of wisdom. Now, when you think about that, the psalm was the, ancient, was the hymn book for ancient Israel. That's where, they, that's where their songs came from. That's what they did like we did this morning. And if you think about that, 43% of their congregational singing was, were, were composed of complaints and expressions of sadness and disappointment with God. Like, if you think about that for a second, that's what the psalm is, is, is compiled of, of people struggling, which, which tells me that this struggle with anxiety is not new. It's not new to us because of the culture or society we live in. It's not new or different. God's people have always struggled. Psalm 42 I want to read through this, and it'll be up on screen as well. David begins, and he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then he says this. He says, My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in, in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. He says, my tears have been my food. And then he, and then he remembers that there was a point in time that he came to church singing in the midst of, of the congregation. And he says, I remember that. But then he says in verse five, he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Do you see the back and forth that's going on? Have you experienced back and forth in your life? He, he says, why are you downcast? Why am I so down right now? Why can't I be positive. Why, why is, what's going on within me? And he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Think about the statement that he makes there. He says, all of your breakers and waves have gone over me. Have you ever been in the ocean and, and been out pretty, pretty far? Maybe, maybe it's, 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 it's on a surfboard or a boogie board or maybe you're just out a little bit further than you thought you were and this wave comes crashing over you and you get thrown to the bottom. And, you're, and if you've experienced that, that's one of the most confusing moments, <laughs> like physically, because you don't know which way is up, you don't know which way is down, and you're just, the breakers break over you, and you are in utter confusion and probably a little bit of panic. He says in verse 8, by the day, 
By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Notice he just says, again, we're, we're, back, we're back up. We're, we're trying to grab onto hope. And he says, in the daytime, I, I see God's steadfast love, and at night, his song is within me. But then in verse nine, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I... Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He, he just says, God's steadfast love is there in the morning and his song is with him in the, at night. And then he says, God, why have you forgotten me? How often have we been in a place where, where we've recognized God's presence with us, but then all of a sudden we say, God, where are you? I don't even know if you're there anymore. And then David says in verse 10, he says, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, we read through that psalm oftentimes more quickly than I just read through it. And we see the resolve at the end where he says, hope in God. He, he recognizes, and there's this feeling of resolve for us, isn't there? That, that there is hope in God and that he will, David will praise God again. He'll be at that place where he feels the, the, the presence of God and, and the community of the people around him where, where he is singing out loud and, and hearing the voices around him and that he's recognizing and feeling God's steadfast love. And he says, my, my salvation and my God. But you see, here's the thing. That psalm came out of about three years of David's life, of feeling that and experiencing that, and going up and down. Isn't it interesting that, that he begins by saying, God, why? He asks God why in verse nine. And he affirms God's love, and he affirms that there is hope in God. But in that moment, he just can't feel it. I love how he starts that whole psalm. Even in the up and down, he starts it by saying, just like a, a deer or an animal Who's, 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 who's been expending energy and is, and is, is hot, it goes and, and it pants for the water. He says, so my soul pants for you. That notice that, that David's desire for God has not left him. But listen to the things that he says. He says, God, why have you forgotten me? He says, my soul is downcast. I mean, that's, Probably another way of just saying, I am incredibly depressed. And I don't know what's going to happen next. And, and there's fear. There's all of these things in there. And, and it's so interesting that David writes that. And, and here's, what I, here's, here's the encouragement in this. Here's the encouragement that I want you to hear in Psalm 42. Anxiety in the life of the believer is not abnormal or unspiritual. If you struggle with anxiety, you are not a failure. You are normal. And I want you to hear that. You are not a failure. You are normal. Remember what we said about David, how he was described biblically? David was described, had the title, as a man after God's own heart. And so if you, you are impacted by anxiety or depression in your life, 
know that you are not eliminated from being described as a man or woman after God's own heart. That is not a failure. You're not unspiritual. That's unfortunately just a reality of being in a place that is impacted by sin. We live in a fallen world. We have a fallen nature. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to hear what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25, and I'm going to read a few verses here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. That passage is probably familiar for people who've been in church for a little while. And I don't read that passage as a, see, you shouldn't be anxious, so just stop being anxious. <laughs> because how helpful has it been or how effective has it been when you're concerned about something or something's going on in your life and someone just says, oh, don't worry about that. How effective has that been? Like, you're kind of like, oh, good. Oh, you just told me not to worry. I should be fine. <laughs> That's not how I react. Uh, in fact, I just, I tend to react um, more extreme when someone says that to me. Um, it, it's, it, you know, it, it's kind of like when someone just says to you, like when you're really elevated, say, calm down, like that works as well. So, so it, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm not sharing with you with the scripture to say, hey, so don't, don't be anxious anymore. Here's what I want you to hear. What Jesus doesn't say in this passage, Jesus doesn't say at any point, forget about anxiety because it's not a real problem. That's not what he's saying here. In fact, Jesus is also not saying the things causing you anxiety don't matter. He's not saying that they don't matter either, that they're, they're not a big deal in your life, that they're not something that, that really does um, cause you concern. What Jesus does say in this passage, there's three really significant things. One, he says, he says God cares for you. That's one thing that he establishes in this passage. God cares for you. Secondly, God cares for the concerns that you have. The things that you're worried about, the things that you're anxious about, the concerns that you have about your life, 
He talks about food and clothing and shelter, but those are the basic needs. And so God cares about those things and all the other things that you care about. Even if you think, like, does God really care about this? Yes, he does. The answer to the question of, God, does God care about this, is always yes. And the third thing he says is that God can do what is impossible for us to do. God can do what is impossible for us to do. Let me give you an example of that. Verse 27 says this, in which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So we, we have these sayings in our culture and things like that. I, I need more time. I need, I need to stretch the day. You know, those kinds of things. Here's the reality. You and I, we have finite time. We cannot add an hour in our day, even though we try to like every six months. We add one, then we take away one, and it's ridiculous. Like, I think that's just our way of pretending that we're God. <laughs> like, look, I gave us another hour. <laughs> uh, and then some states are like, yep, we give up being God, so we just don't mess with it. <laughs> but, but, but the reality is that we can't add any time to our day or our week or our month or our year or our life. But who is Lord and sovereign over the day and the hours and the weeks and the months and the years in our life? God is. You see, God can do what is impossible for us to do. I can't do anything about the time that I have. I just live in it. But God is over that. And so what, what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew chapter 6, he's not saying, hey, get over it, stop worrying. He's saying, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be in bondage to this. Because God cares for you, he cares for your concerns, and God can do what is impossible. You see, what he's saying to us is that we are anxious because we have real needs and concerns. He validates that, yeah, we have real needs. Jesus says right there, you have a need for, for daily bread. You have a need for shelter. You have a need for clothing. And you have a whole bunch of other needs. But, but here's what he's saying to you is that God also knows exactly what those needs are. God is aware of those needs. He is not forgotten. Like David says in Psalm 42, why have you forgotten me? The reality is that David feels that deeply, but God has not forgotten him. And, and so the reality that Jesus communicates in that passage is that we are all on a journey learning to trust God what, and, 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 and yet we would rather trust ourselves. We're all on this journey to trust God, but, but we would rather trust ourselves and say, well, because that's why we're so anxious is because we feel like we need to fix these things. And so he says, so seek first or focus on God's kingdom rather than find shelter, solve my own problems, and pretend it isn't happening. Because that's what we do, isn't it? We either, we either find shelter from what we're, we're afraid of or what we're anxious about. We, solve our own, we try to solve our own problems, which often doesn't work out, or we just pretend that these things aren't happening. But he says, seek first God's kingdom. Remember I mentioned that, that study, that global study about generalized anxiety disorder? And, and that it was a higher percentage of people affected in high-income places. Right before Jesus talks about anxiety, in fact, if, if you were to back up a few verses, 
In verse 19, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says that before he talks about anxiety. Here's, here's some thoughts that I put together from this global study that they did and from what Jesus says right here. That anxiety increases in us as we become more self-dependent. As you and I start to depend on ourselves more, anxiety increases. And I think God's warning about money and stuff and where our heart is and where our treasure is, is not just about giving or generosity, it's actually about being whole and being full in life. Because the more we get, and it seems like the more we build our kingdoms, the greater risk and anxiety happens to us. Because we feel more self-dependent and less God-dependent, and we've recognized, whether inside somewhere down deep or up front, that we really aren't able to take care of ourselves. As I said, as we started this morning, that as Jesus followers, we are responsible to cultivate a Christian approach to anxiety, including all the tools that God has placed at our disposal. You see, the brain or our nervous system in, in, can in many cases be helped by various anxiety-reducing medications prescribed by a psychiatrist or a primary care physician. And here's what I want you to understand. We do live in a society and culture that runs to medication. <laughs> but just because our culture is unbalanced in that does not eliminate God's use of medication to help us experience him, and be in a place where we can receive his peace. The formation of habits that re restructure the, the brain, the heart muscle, and other body parts can exchange the habits of being anxious with the habits of resting peace and joy. You see, it, it, there's this reality, this responsibility we have is to look at all the things and the tools that God has given us and that we lean into those things as long as they don't contradict God's word. And so, see, if I, am, if, if I suffer from an anxiety disorder and, and I get medication for that, I am ignoring my spirit if I don't develop spiritual habits that restructure the way I think, that restructure the way I experience things. And so here's, here's what, I want, what I want to share, want to give you this morning as a starting point. If you're struggling with anxiety, please go see a professional, a physician, a counselor, a therapist, someone who can help you move forward. And if you need to get to that place where you, you just feel like, I'm, I'm not going to do that, I can't do that, well, then, then go to someone else who God has placed in your circle and, and share with them because, see, it's not embarrassing. It's not a failure. You're normal. <laughs> Remember, if you, if you struggle with anxiety, you, 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 that's, what, that's what you are, that you're part of God's family. 
The second thing that I would say is that we need to really be very intentional about developing spiritual habits. God's given us his word for direction and insight and peace and encouragement. And there's two things that I would throw out to you this morning. The first one is contemplative prayer. We live in a culture and a society where everything is immediate, don't we? We have to have things the moment. I mean, I, mean, I, I heard that Amazon is, is now going to like most things you can get in one day, which is unbelievable. <laughs> like we live in a culture where that's the thing. And so, so what, what even it, it invades our, our, our prayer life even. How, when, how hard is it for us to actually spend time in focused prayer? Now, I think it's great to be in a, in a spirit of prayer all day and, and shooting off prayers to God here and there and just really quickly whispering up prayers. But you see, that's not the end of it. Contemplative prayer is where you actually set time aside, not in the midst of what you're doing, and communicate and allow God to move in you. And so contemplative prayer is where you find a quiet, private place where you can be uninterrupted, Sometimes it's, it's easier to set a timer so that you don't keep looking at your phone or your watch. But setting a time aside, maybe with a timer off where you can't, you know, just be distracted by it, it'll go off when that time is done. Spending a few minutes relaxing your body and mind because we are so in, in, just bombarded with stuff all day. But taking some time to relax and, and when you focus on scripture during that time, that's, that's often really helpful. That's one of the great things about memorizing scripture is you don't have to have something in front of you reading it, but, but, but thinking on the scripture that you've memorized or maybe scripture that you've brought with you. And, and, and you can practice. You can practice those things that God calls us, like in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust, trust not on your own understanding but acknowledge God. That's what you're doing in contemplative prayer. Or in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, where it says, humble yourself before God so he will lift you up. And during that time, you can connect and listen to what God wants to do in that space that you've provided. And it's easy to wander. I'm, I always struggle with, with focused intentional prayer like that in one spot because my mind wanders and I drift off to sleep and it's, it's all kinds of things. Don't beat yourself up on that. Just catch yourself and refocus. That's a practice, a discipline that we can employ in our lives to help replace those bad habits that we have with habits that will move us toward life and fullness. Another habit that I would strongly recommend that you begin to practice is gratitude toward God. That sounds super simple, doesn't it? Gratitude toward God. You see, you see Davis professor Robert Emmaus did a, did a research project on gratitude. And, and what he found, this was his conclusion. This is what he said his conclusion was. Gratitude has one of the strongest links to mental health and satisfaction with life of any personal trait. More so than even optimism, hope, or compassion. Grateful people experience a higher level of positive emotions such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, and optimism. And gratitude as a discipline protects us from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. That's a University of California study finding. 
that actually just confirms what the Bible says over and over and over again. I love when the University of California affirms what the Bible says. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> See, Scripture is full of exhortations calling us toward gratitude to God. And so here, here's how to start. Here's how to start that habit of giving gratitude toward God. Make a list every morning or maybe once a week and read it every day of the things that you can be grateful for God, to God. The big things and the little things. The things that you think matter and the things that you think don't. But write it down and read it to yourself. And that helps form a different habit in your life. So my question for you this morning is this. What are you going to do today? Because here's the reality. Every one of us, whether you have a normal, healthy degree of anxiety in your life or you have this elevated degree that, is, that you just feel like you can't shake off, every person in this room, I would, I would say, has been affected by anxiety and depression whether it's a family member, a friend, or you yourself. What are you going to do today? And, and I think it's one of those two things. Either make an appointment with a friend or a professional, or number two, begin a discipline. And whether you're the person who's suffering anxiety or you know someone who is, every one of us would do well to begin one of those disciplines. That the first thing you do when you get home from church today, after you've had lunch, because we need to feed the body, is write a list of what you're thankful to God for. And read that list every day this week. Every one of us in here would do well to set a take a time and set a time aside, at least starting for every week, and say, this is where I'm gonna go, and this is how I'm gonna focus on God and spend time with him. See, at the end of the day, God is faithful, he's trustworthy, he's caring, and he honors his promises. God wants us to speak honestly with him and not pretend we're at a place that we're not. Here's the reality. Regardless of what your situation is, God will transform you if you belong to him. Paul says in Philippians 1, he says that God will finish the work he started in you. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and I'm gonna invite the ushers to go and prepare for communion. We're gonna spend the next few minutes participating in communion together. And there's two things that I would challenge you during this time. I would encourage you to use this time to focus on who God is and what you have to be grateful for. Because isn't that what communion is? God laid down his life. Jesus gave his life in our place. Sacrificed himself so that we could have forgiveness and we could have a fullness of life. And he raised from the dead so that we could have a future. And so really as we gather and as we partake of communion, it's an opportunity to recognize and focus on who God is and what we have to be grateful for. So when that night that Jesus was betrayed, 
he took that cup and he said, this is, this is my blood that's been shed for you. And he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body that's been broken for you. And Jesus gave the disciples a reason and a message to give everyone who crosses their path of why we have hope. 